Next up on Visual Wow. Put it in writing. Create the plan. Put a timeline to it. Do something that says, okay, I've got a timeline, I've got leadership, an understanding of what the resources are going to be to ferment this plan and move it forward. I know what the costs are. I know what the goals are. You may be in crisis, but let's now talk about stability. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Visual Wow. The podcast for people passionate about live events. We're obsessed with creating and capturing those wow moments. This is the place the top pros come to share their secrets. Now, here's your host, Jack Hartsman. Welcome back, Visual Wow community. I am your host, Jack Hartsman, and I am here today all the way from West Palm Beach, Florida, David Phillips, immersive first uh consultant all around good guy business smarts entrepreneur a man just likes to drive people in the right direction david welcome to the program delightful to be here hi jack how you doing man uh i am doing well it is great to see your smiling face on our little zoom session here i don't normally keep the video on when i'm interviewing somebody but as you and i used to see each other on a very regular basis and i haven't seen your smiling face in so long I am uh, I am really enjoying uh, the fact that we picked up right where we left off several years ago. Well, the truth is, this is your punishment for not staying in touch better. You have to look at me. Ouch! That is really twenty five minutes. You know that is that is really painful. Uh, (laughs) I'm being scolded on my own show. For the you know our our community has uh, a lot of uh, Baltimore Washington connection because that's where we obviously launched the podcast. So for those of you who do not remember the name of David Phillips, he was the executive director and the brains behind the Capital Camps Empire and World here uh, in the uh, in the Washington metropolitan area for what about a decade, twelve years back in yeah, twelve years. With with one slight correction, is that I was sort of the the ringmaster. I don't think in any way. Was I wholly responsible? Let's be clear. Okay. Well, you were definitely, you definitely had the black whip on my behind helping you uh, <laughs> do so many things that we did. And that's when my, my, uh, my wife, ex-wife Penny was involved with the organization and my kids were going to camp there. And you and I really, uh, you and I really watched our kids grow up together and, and our lives and our families were very involved. And to be honest, uh, the place Capital Camps to me has never been the same since you left. Uh, I think of you often. I I remember moving bunks from one side of a field to another side of a field with you. And I tell that story when I go to camp and people are like, what? And I say, well, you see that building? It used to be over there. And we moved it from there to over there. Um, so yeah, we did a lot of fun stuff back there during that time. It's a very special place. And the most important thing about it is the people always, always was, always will be. And the treasured relationships is how I view the, the place. Well, um, I, I completely agree. And I, I don't know if you remember the picture I sent you when I was there last summer, because Washington Talent, we still provide the music for the banquet sessions. Um, uh, unbeknownst to me that they were friends, but your daughter, uh, who is a fine grown woman at this point, not the little seven-year-old that I remember, uh, but uh, she was there with my daughter and another one of my clients there, all three kids I had photographed there bat mitzvahs. And yep. standing in front of me was um, an 18-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 25-year-old daughter of mine. And just the history and the legacy of summer camp. And, and uh, as you know, I was a summer camp kid. So whatever you did at Capital Camps, I appreciated you. I think what, what, what 
you did there was was really remarkable, and the, your legacy there is Capital Camps. I think is just a phenomenal institution here in the in the Baltimore Washington area. It, yeah, yeah. I listen very selfishly. I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, it, you have to have a great product in order to move the needle forward. And there is absolutely no doubt that that sort of immersive experience changes people's destinies. And we've seen it time and time again. Camp just happens to be one of those product lines and just blessed to have been part of it. And and to still call it home, I still think of it as home in so many ways. Well, I know that uh, I know people think that your accent is from Thailand, but I know that you are a, a boy of the UK. Uh, I know you've had it's, stays. It's in- not a real accent, Jack. I've always been putting it on. Uh, I know that you uh, had a stay in North Carolina and in Pittsburgh and DC, and now you are in uh, in Central Florida or West Palm Beach, Florida, South, South Florida, Jupiter to be uh, precise. And you don't mean the planet; you do mean the city. Actually, if you were down here, you'd understand this may well be the planet. <laughs> Uh, so let's just talk about that. I, I try not to make this a political conversation, but here we are. Um, just a first uh, two days after the first presidential debate. And for the record, this may not air for two or three weeks. So it'll be funny to hear how this sounds at the end of October. But um, what was your comment about about Florida that COVID is gone in Florida? That's what the governor said. It's essentially we don't have to worry about it because everything's opening up. Everything's going to be fine. There are no problems. Um, And we all are actually being asked to wear our uh, masks over our eyes so that we can't see anything. Uh, That explains why everything is perfectly fine. And by the way, that's how most people drive down here in on normal circumstance with, with their eyes covered. So it's all good. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. David Phillips has told us the coast is clear in Florida. Let's all go celebrate and uh, get down to South Beach and enjoy the palm trees. And uh, there's no COVID left in Florida. You heard it here on Visual Wow. On to the rest of our, sh- on to the rest of our show. <laughs> We're actively encouraging people to lick uh, doorknobs and... Uh, Uh, All right. right. So anyway, um, David, you, uh, I asked you to be on the show. Um, I know you were begging to be on the show, but I, I did reach over the aisle and I did reach out to you because you bring an interesting perspective. You, you know, me as a photographer, we've done lots of events together and now you're in, in Florida with a company that is really your, your main, your main daily job. You're a consultant. And you are, uh, from my knowledge, you're not just in the Jewish sector anymore. You're coast to coast and around our planet. Tell the audience just a little bit about uh, what you are doing and who your clients are. What, what is your, what's your daily routine? What are you telling people? My daily routine now is to cry when I wake up oh. uh, and then realize that I've got to get on with work uh, because we're living in strange times. But in let's, let's consider normal times, uh, normal times. Uh, I spend my uh, my life working with not-for-profits primarily. I had a couple of for-profit clients, but essentially I, I tend to drive towards the not-for-profits. And if they are immersive in nature, hence the term immersive first, then I gravitate towards them. And fortunately, they gravitate towards me. I work essentially in a number of areas. Um, I do a lot of work around acute organizational uh, management, so if organizations have problems, I help them through the problem. I do organizational analysis. Uh, I do some coaching. 
and I do uh, a whole bunch of stuff around program development and fundraising. So I interviewed last week um, Lindsay Gill from Luke's Wings. I don't think you know that. It's 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 it kind of started here in the D.C. area, just about the time you left the D.C. area. But they're a a wounded warriors organization that provides they provide flights and accommodations for families after our government's uh, uh, seventy two hours of of comfort comes to our wounded warriors. They go to the hospital, and Luke's Wings provides them the ability to stay in the hospital with their loved ones past three days. And we were talking about the challenges of. And what it's like to run a nonprofit during a pandemic when people you count on weekly, monthly, annually for support and their personal lives have been turned upside down and backwards. And they're planning uh, their annual walkathon uh, next week, actually, which is, you know, a substantial part of their annual income, their budget comes from that walkathon. And, and how do you plan for something like that in a virtual world? Um, tell me about. Uh, the modality, if you will, of of working in the nonprofit sector during a time when the whole world has been turned upside down. It, it's a it's a terrific question, which which upsets me because I'm not used to you asking terrific questions. <laughs> uh, so, so the first thing is, and I'm, I, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to pause here for a second. To our <laughs> listening audience, I hope a few of you are listening. Uh, when you're picking guests for a show, you should probably in the back of your mind, remember that some of them may throw you under the bus on a regular basis. So to my listening audience, um, just enjoy the ride while I get completely abused, whether it's five more minutes or an hour and five minutes, David Phillips, back to you. I'm sure you have something important to say. Try not to rub my face in it. Go. You're on. Sarcasm is the the highest form of affection in my world. So just consider yourself well loved. I do. Um, Thank you very much for that. So let me let me assume, Jack, that you were a client and I was coming in, and you're you're having a challenge because of this situation we find ourselves in. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, we can define what a crisis is. The question is, are you in crisis? Because understanding whether or not the crisis is going to uh, manifestly impact you near-term or long-term is a differentiation point that we need, to, we need to go. So, for example, in the camp world, for the most part, they're in crisis. They weren't able to operate programs during summer 2020. They had staffing reductions, budget revisions. There's an unpredictable uh, 2021 summer coming along, and their professionals are exhausted and the boards are overwhelmed. Those are all indicators of, of a crisis. So what, what I do is I say to them, okay, are you stable though? You may be in crisis, but let's now talk about stability. So for many of them, they've got stable leadership. They've got stable board members. They've got indicators of depth. They've got an asset in the property. They've got all those things. So then I say to them, okay, what does history tell us about both your organization and the way we run not-for-profits. And Jack, I would go back to 2008 when we had the, uh, I think it was called the Great Recession. For some oh, reason, yeah. we, yeah, for some reason, we love to put the word great in front of things that weren't. Yeah. So, you know, it was the, the Great Recession that really was an ugly recession. Organizations did one of two things, in my experience. They uh, reduced fundraising budgets, they reduced marketing, they eliminated staff, all to save money. 
And then others stayed the course. They kept their fundraising staff. They invested more in marketing. And they wrote it out that way. Here's what we know if we now look back on those two options. The organizations that chose option number two are doing far better than those who chose number one. And in, in the realm of fundraising, it's really easy. Fundraising is no different than sales. This is all about relationships. If you rid yourself of the professionals that have the relationships with your donors, you can't be surprised when your donors don't come back. So those that kept their staff, maintained and deepened the donor relationships were ready, survived, and were ready for the upturn. And, and in fact, you know, just as a, a, a very succinct example, at Capital Camps, we were one of the few organizations, not-for-profits in town, who did not let go of any staff, did not reduce uh, people's uh, their, their benefits or salaries. In fact, we invested more. We bounced back faster, harder, and better than those around us. And that's kind of the stuff we need to think about when we're approaching um, a not-for-profit that's saying, hey, I, I've got a problem. And they're sticking their hand up. I, I, I think that you have hit on one of the things that I learned as a, as a child. My mother said it in a different way, but when times are bad, we have to work the hardest instead of crawling up into a cocoon. And I Absolutely. remember because we went through that recession together with my participation uh, when I was handling photography at Capital Camps. And I remember we had lots of conversations about how we cut back and this and that and the other. And, you know, we couldn't give away some of our services back then because my profession fundamentally is on disposable income. And quite frankly, the parents that are paying for their kids to go to a summer camp environment is also disposable income. And when people don't feel good inside, be it for the, the, the economic climate of the country or the world, or, or quite frankly, in, in my recent conversations, or the political climate that we're in today, it doesn't matter if you're left or right. In this country right now, nobody is politically relaxed and comfortable. If you're, if you lean left, you're frustrated about the right. If you lean right, you're frustrated about the left. All of that affects people uh, and their disposable income, especially when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you've got a gazillion people out of work. So all this kind of stuff, it affects summer camps all the way to how we buy our groceries. And, and so, so what do you do? I mean, without, you know, I, I don't know about you. I gave up the rights to my crystal ball. I used to charge for being able to look into it and come up with the answers. Do you have one? I, I do. Uh, it's a little bit cloudy, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, it's, listen, it's what I get paid to do is to help organizations to an extent uh, rationally project, predict the strategy and the pathway that they should take over the next three to five years, much beyond five years is a waste of time. You know, you've got organizations that want a 10-year projection, and I look at them and I say, you know, let, let's keep to three to five. That, well, we can, that we can do. So as I tell young photographers, especially recently here on the podcast, um, I, I'm 30-plus years in the game right now, and I remember the recession of 87, that uh, was my first kick in the teeth. And I was barely, I used to run a custom lab back in those days. And all of a sudden people stopped coming in the door. Like all of a sudden having your pick an eight by 10 made was like, you know, 
low, low, low on the totem pole of importance. Yep. And then we dealt with the world in post 9-11, which is just about the time when you and I really started getting involved with each other's lives yep. uh, at camp. And then we went from 2000, you know, we went from 2001, 2002, as you said, to, to the recession of 08. And, and now we're in a situation which we both have to admit is a little different completely with this many, with with the amount of despair going on, but more importantly with the, again, not making it a political conversation. Let's just say that the leadership that we're dealing with right now is, is more controversial than helpful. So it's not helping anybody. Again, I don't mean to make that a left or a right thing. It's just, it's just not helping the cause. So we're all kind of in, in this global purgatory besides the pandemic. And, and, and yet, if we get down to the brass tacks of people's lives, people still want to get married. Sweet 16s are still going to happen. Bar mitzvahs are still going to happen. Funerals are going to happen. And, and That's for sure. Definitely funerals are going to happen right now, which well, uh, I don't mean to make light of it, but the reality that, is, you know, we, we're in a situation that the, the interesting thing, Jack, is when you talk about crisis, if you look it up and you talk uh, and you, you Google it, it nearly always relates to economics. And the the fact of the matter is um, the joy of working in the not-for-profit world is we get to run towards problems of people, not necessarily those of just economics or just those of uh, education. This is a a basis for how you prism and see life. And for me, um, there's a number of lessons that I have learned over the last few years that I think helped guide me and therefore helped me guide my clients. And so while this is absolutely different, you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, there are similarities and things we can always learn from history. And even if you go back before the great recession, the great economic recession to the great depression, again, this term great is really weird to me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there but you're less. from but you're from the UK and you drive on the wrong side of the road, so that's still bizarre. I never did. I never. I did. I drive on whichever side of the road I feel like wherever I am. It doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but if you if you look back, there are some fundamental things we can learn that I think can be applied today, and those include things like empathy for the less fortunate. You know what? We can, we can't fear change. If we fear change, we become paralyzed. Um, you're taking risks that, that are destined to pay off to the best of our ability, reinventing ourselves. I mean, remember, in, in the Great Depression, you had, uh, you had accountants working as laborers, but they reinvented themselves. We are in a similar situation. We can learn from the past, uh, but the one thing we cannot do, and this is where I see a lot of professionals, certainly in that not-for-profit sector, struggling, is they're overwhelmed in believing in the future. And that's something that uh, I, I can help them with. And so it's, it's, it's a great feeling to work with those folks. Don't you think that a lot of it comes back to how people either realize or, or don't realize uh, about relationships? I mean, we talked about it a few minutes ago, but you know, the, the, the guy who's down on his luck in the worst of ways doesn't realize the incredible assets that are sitting right within arm's reach because of the relationships they've had for days, weeks, months, years, and and the ability that they have to just say, hey, you know, there's my friend down the street who could really help me right now. I'm afraid to ask because I'm in such a bad place. I don't want to ask him. You At the very root of what you just said is why 
I spend a lot of time helping organizations with fundraising because there's a sense that it's a dirty, um, loathsome thing to do to ask someone for their money or in the instance you just gave to ask someone to help you because you're down in your luck. It's like a, it's like a negative thing to put yourself in that position. I actually think it's completely the opposite. The, the joy for me of fundraising is if I ask Jack Hartsman for a uh, million dollars, you would think that that's really going to be tough on Jack. But what I'm going to say to Jack is the following, you know, Jack, this gift is going to change the life of, this group of people, whether it's a camp, a retreat center, a JCC, a YMCA, a 4-H, whoever I'm working with, but it's also going to change your life. It's going to change the way you perceive yourself and you perceive your role in community. And suddenly it goes from being something that people think of as a negative to it's the most beautiful thing I can do is to change the lives of the people who receive the money and the lives of the person who give the money. And the reason it works for me is authenticity and what I would purport to you is if you're authentic with who you are, you can go to the neighbor and say, look, I'm really screwed. Could you help me out? And, and that authenticity moves the needle. It's the difference between me as a fundraiser and why I've, I feel I've been successful and some of my colleagues, because the difference is I'll tell the truth to the donor. Um, the example I give when I'm doing some training is, you know, if, especially down here in, in Florida, is, um, you know, the, the donor who comes to the fundraising professional and says, I'd really love to put an alligator pond in a preschool. <laughs> and a lot, of, a lot of fundraisers will say, are we talking small alligators or big ones? Whereas I will say, are you out of your freaking mind? It's a stupid idea. If what your question is, you would like to teach children about indigenous uh, animals, I get it. Let's do the program differently. But no, a live alligator pond isn't probably the greatest way to do this. That authenticity may piss them off a little bit, but here's what happens, Jack. They come back and they say, you're the only person who actually told us the truth. And so wow. that authenticity is, I think, very marketable, and I think it's also what I've also always appreciated in you. You are who you are. And, and that I find attractive, not in a weird way, just attractive. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that very much, David. I, I have been accused more than, more than a few times of wearing my heart on my sleeve and maybe being a little brash around the edges when I, I speak my mind. And the older I get, the more I, I just want to help people push past their their fears and concerns when I can just see the matrix right in front of how to help them get to the finish line. And, 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 you know, you and I both have pretty strong personalities and people sometimes get offended by the fact that you just, you know, you, you cut right through the BS to get to the, to the meat of it all. And well, that's just who I am. And I, I appreciate the backhanded compliment. Thank you, my friend. And, and to the visual audience, um, David and I, we go back 20 years together. Um, we really have not been involved with each other's lives, but, but, you know, a few times over the last five or six years yet, when I go to camp during the summer, I, I'm always quick to grab a picture with, with hope and, and send it to you. And, and, yep. and, and, and folks, you've all been listening to this first month or two of Monica and I, in our interviews, that so much of what we do is based around relationships. And I, I urge you, if you want to learn a little bit more about what Monica and I have done for three decades in relationships, go to visualwow.com forward slash relationships 
And we've got a, a, a free download of a guide just to, to show you how we've taken relationships and built a business out of it. And here we are um, with our live events business, uh, all but in neutral. And we're reaching out to our friends and those people that we, we have those deep relationships like David Phillips to shed a little bit of light on something that's a little bit out of our regular comfort zone uh, in the event world. And, and David also knows us in the photography world. And I, I wanted to come back to the to the time of the recession. You shot, you shot both my kids' mitzvahs, so I should know you, yeah. And I used a camera, and I used a camera, by the way, when we talked <laughs> about that. Um, but but I remember back in during the recession in the summer between 08 and 09, when we were talking about cutting back services, and, and that's the days when my company was supporting Capital Camps, doing the bunk photos for the, the kids at summer camp. And, and I remember having a, a, a basic conversation with you about, look, are, do we want to save a few bucks and, and run this up to Walmart and get the pictures uh, printed up there? Or do we want to continue to offer the high quality product that we had been doing for camp in years prior um, and, and, and just stay the course? You are one of those people who I've always admired for the fact that you realize that a visual image, or as you will, a visual wow image, uh, is something that, that, that stands the test of time. And that's not the time to be cutting corners uh, just well, because we're having well, a little hardship. Yeah, it's absolutely the worst time. It, it, again, goes back to that issue of where do you find the money? And if you're that desperate, the last place you, you cut it is with your external marketing and your image uh, branding. It's just, it's just dangerous. Uh, although it is interesting, Jack. I, I now work with you know, a, a bunch of these organizations, and what's remarkable to me is they have great ideas really fabulous ideas, but the one thing they don't know how to do as well as they should is to write them down and create a plan. And I'm, I, you know, consultants get critiqued for lots of things. You know, you're, 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 you're taking our watch and telling us what time it is. That's fine. I, I take all those critiques uh, uh, on board. Um, I do things slightly differently, which I'll tell you about in a second. But, but what's remarkable is the, the most obvious things are sometimes missed. And I, I tell my clients and I would encourage anyone, if it's not in writing, it's not real. Put it in writing. Create the plan. Put a timeline to it. Do something that says, okay, I've got a timeline. I've got leadership associated with it. I've got an understanding of what the resources are going to be to ferment this plan and move it forward. I know what the costs are. I know what the goals are. And by the way, I'm putting an idea of what evaluation looks like at the front end, because it's always easy to evaluate something if you create the evaluation measures after you've done it. If you create them in advance, that holds you a little bit tighter to the, the, the outcomes. It is remarkable how, how folks are like, wow, we, we should really, or should I say visual wow, we should do that. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I'd put the plug in. That was a shameless plug, and I, I appreciate uh, every bit of it. That's a dollar. Send it to me. Uh, used used cash notes, please. Yeah, whatever you need, whatever you need. Well, listen, I I really um, it I, I wasn't quite sure where this this conversation was going to go, but I always know that you and I have never had a problem of keeping on a conversation. Absolutely. So I I uh, I absolutely love the fact that you can talk about um how to deal with people's internal struggles or, or if you will, their corporate struggles that are being driven by their internal struggles. And I guess as we, you know, I think the hardest part about this challenge that we're all living through right now, different than 08 and all the other 
you know, rough economic times that we've been through is that there's just, there's no sight. There's no, there's just no end in sight. So in 08, we could say, oh, well, you know, a recession lasts for six months or nine months. But in this situation that we're in, there's no, there's just no benchmark of measurement to say, when is this going to loosen up? Uh, Unless of course you live in Florida and, and we're done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm personally thinking about moving to Ghana because I think things there are a little bit more level than they are here right now. Um, but uh, you're kind of talking about a psyche issue there, Jack. And I know we've only got a few minutes left, but um, it's my major concern right now in the not-for-profit sector, especially, is the emotional toll this has taken on our senior professionals and our board members who my fear is if we don't provide them with the support they need to get through, what is a traumatic experience? I mean, a lot of people join boards not to reduce budgets and let go of people that they admire. I think we're going to need to step in and step towards the problem to ensure the vitality and the the cohesion of our boards going forward. And if we don't do that, shame on us. Anytime someone's in trouble, we need to step towards the problem. And we, we shouldn't do it because we think it's going to result in good things for us in the future. But in, undoubtedly, what I found is it usually does. Well, to tie that together, think about why people are on boards. They usually had a successful career. They have disposable income. They have a good head on their shoulders for making decisions. And now parlay that into what's happening right now. By the yep. end of next month, probably three and five event professionals are going to be out of business. Um, when, when you, I was in Georgetown the other day and outside of Washington, DC with a friend from New York and she's like, wow, this is as bad as it is in New York. Like a third or more of the restaurants are boarded up and closed. We'll stop and think about that for a minute. Those people, anybody who's an entrepreneur, anybody who has their own business or restaurant or whatever it might be, by the time they got to a point of actually having to close their business and board up the door, it's probably six months longer than they should have been there. They've, re- they've, they've completely deplenished yep. all their credit lines. They've maxed out their credit cards. They've been told they should have gotten out earlier. So when they close their business, not only do we lose that business, which means we lose the tax revenue for the city and the municipality, but that person now leaves that business completely broke and and they probably never took a salary from their company. They only took a uh, a disbursement of one sort or the other. And if they got an SBA loan or whatever it was, they weren't allowed to take any distributions. So that person who is no longer providing jobs, who can no longer add to the tax base, is now shutting down their business, broke to the bone, and are probably going to be homeless in XYZ days, weeks, or months because they have absolutely nothing. So... It really, it really is a challenge to what comes next in how we recover from this if we don't, if, if, our, if our government doesn't do something to, and it's, it's bigger than what we did the first time around, not smaller, to help these businesses get back on their feet and, and pay into the, the hole of debt that they dug themselves into just to sustain. I, completely. And look, I'm, I'm as... I was concerned about the psyche of those folks because those are the customer bases for the organizations. I of course, with. that's, that's <laughs> again where the disposable income comes. It's a cycle. Right. So there's the wants and needs issue, which we probably don't have time for. But at, at the same time, Jack, um, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a physician 
And she said to me, you know, sitting is the new smoking. Mm-hmm. And the more we sit, the more we become uh, sedentary and it impacts our psyche, impacts our, our physical, physical bodies. Um, I would encourage people, and it's easy and trite for me to say this, but I think it's really true. The, the worst thing we can do is not get up, move around, and use our brains to the best of our ability. So even though you may be financially strapped or you may be struggling to find work, there are not-for-profits, organizations, and people who still need you. I encourage everyone, find a way to contribute, whatever that might mean. And not only does it get you out of your chair, um, but it helps ensure that you have contact with other people because it's so easy to now go through life completely contactless. I mean, you can go shopping at Home Depot and never talk to a human being or, or, or down here at Publix. Sometimes that's better the way than it was before. Well, well down, down here, that's absolutely the case. But um, it's important that we recognize we all bring something special to the, to the party and step towards the problem, step towards your neighbors, step towards uh, your own healing. And, and I think that is... The most challenging part of this is is coming up for air. And I, I I thoroughly agree, and and as a lot of the listeners uh, in our community have heard me say, March and April were really tough on on me personally. I really had a hard time functioning without being busy. Me me bored is a bad combination, and. When I started coming out of my funk and I kind of found the bootstraps inside of my boots, the very first thing I did in the worst, what I consider to be, you know, that middle of May to middle of June when we all were afraid to take a breath outside, I had to do something. I hadn't picked up a camera in almost three months. And and for me, my profession is my life and my therapy also. And I, I just miss creating. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ran into... Um, Cheryl Kagan, who is our local state senator here for the Rockville, Gaithersburg area. And I, I said, can you just find me something to do? I don't need money. Just, you know, my skill set, just point me in the right direction of something that my images could help a nonprofit or a help a whatever. And she said, be at Rockville Town Center tomorrow at nine o'clock. And I'm like, well, that didn't take long. And I went and I went to a grocery store, um, a place called Dawson's Market. And um, they were giving out 500 lunches the next day for um, hospital workers around the community. And all you had to do was show a hospital ID and drive up to the side of the grocery store and they were handing out box lunches. And then I went from that. The next day, I was so impressed by the staff and the way they handled themselves that I came back the next morning when they do senior citizens, uh, you know, like between seven and eight o'clock in the morning. And I just went there the next morning taking pictures of of grocery store people helping out senior citizens. And, and it was so rewarding. And the, the manager said, well, what do I owe you? I said, you don't owe me anything. I said, just give this to your employees and, and let them show the world that they're here working in masks and gloves and covered head to toe. And they're helping out people. And I just wanted to give back. And I did not want to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning, by the way. I was thoroughly enjoying not waking up until noon every day. But I dragged my butt out of bed and I, and I went and I did it. And it was so unbelievably therapeutic and rewarding for me. It, 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 you know. It's a catharsis. It's absolutely a catharsis. And, and you know, I, when I'm, I'm very fortunate still, I've got work, 
I'm blessed in that way. I get to do some trainings. And at the end of pretty much all my trainings, I tell people to be yourself, be bold, be relentless, be kind, but also ask for help. If you need help, we're not all therapists. We're not all empaths. If you're watching Star Trek, the next generation, that would make sense. <laughs> uh, but, but that means that other people can't guess how we're feeling. We're also, by the way, all much better actors than we tend to believe we are. And we can put on a front. Ask for help if you need it. And I, I think that's a, a reasonable and not unfair thing to ask people to do. I have always cherished your humor. I have always appreciated your sarcasm, but I give kudos to you for the incredible wisdom between your ears that you continue to surprise me with after all these years. And I very much appreciate you sharing it with our listening audience. Uh, you're a mensch, David Phillips, no matter what people say about you. And I've spoken to your wife personally about that. So I just want you to know, I think you're, you're, you're quite a mensch. And I, I really appreciate the wisdom that you've just shared with all of us. And to the listening audience, um, Immersive First is, is a very easy website to peruse. I know David in a way that he will field a question and a call from anybody who reaches out to him. He is absolutely as authentic as he sounds and equally as sarcastic, I might add. But he is a very, a very good guy to share wisdom uh, because it's the right thing to do. And if it turns into a client, well, that's just a bonus too. So uh, David Phillips, Immersive First. Uh, do you have any other social channels? That's a .com, ImmersiveFirst.com, right? ImmersiveFirst.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And uh, I'm, I'm on a high from Diet Sprite. Um, well... <laughs> That's, those so I, are my, my weaknesses. I will have David's uh, incredible bio, his legacy, and all of his social channels and ways to get a hold of him in the show notes. Uh, David, again, I really appreciate your time and your wisdom that you have shared with all of us. Um, I hope I can have you back on when we have cleared November 3rd and we can reflect back on what's happened in the nonprofit world, uh, regardless of the outcome of our, of our 2020 election and, and the circus that's going to become. My love, my love and regards to your wife and beautiful children. And, uh, back at you and the beautiful family that I know and love. And you guys take care. And most importantly, Jack, are we going to vote? Yes, we're going to vote. We're absolutely. We <laughs> you know, this has been the most non-political political, political uh, interview we've had so far on the Visual Out podcast. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get out and vote whichever direction you may vote in. Let's just hope you vote properly. So uh, David, thank you again to the listening audience. I'm your host, Jack Hartsman, and I appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Visual Wow. If you like what you heard, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and tell your friends. Go to visualwow.com for more info. If you didn't like what you heard, just keep it to yourself. Know a pro we should be talking to on the show? Drop us a line. Talk with you next time on Visual Wow.